Well, thanks, Joy. Uh, it's a great privilege to have the opportunity to reflect with you on the meaning of Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve. And uh, we're going to do that now as we reflect on some of those readings that have been brought to us uh, this evening. Now, have many of you travelled far uh, tonight to be here? Who would make a claim to say, I've come the furthest uh, to be here tonight? Has anyone got an idea of that? Wollongong, that's pretty far. Can anyone top Wollongong? Canada. Canada. <laughs> All right. Uh, well done. Um, bow, the, bow the knee and recognise the Canadians in our presence. Well done. Um, that's wonderful. Um, I don't think you really could get further away. It's probably directly opposite us on the globe. That, that is a fantastic effort. So well done. We're very grateful that you guys are here. Um, family vacation, family Christmas vacation, travelling, that's a very Christmas thing. And the first Christmas was about travelling too. Uh, Mary and Joseph not in their hometown uh, when that first Christmas came. So what I want to do uh, tonight as we reflect on who Jesus is and just what it is that he's achieved is to think about some of the places that Jesus went, some of the places that Jesus went at Christmas time. And I want to start off with the most obvious one, which sounds a little strange though. Uh, The first place we're going to look that Jesus went is in a womb, Jesus in a womb. And, uh, And so we see that picked up. Uh, in the verses that were read for us. This is how the birth of Jesus of Nazareth came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It's a really fascinating thing. I think it's quite extraordinary how awkwardly physical this miracle is. How awkwardly physical the miracle is, right? Um, If you spend enough time in um, the Marvel Comics world, right, and you have a a sort of God kind of idea, well, they they can jump through time and space. They've got little gateways. They can do things. They can wear magic rings. You can do whatever you want if you're a Marvel God, right? But how does the God of the universe who's really there, how does he choose to enter the world? He doesn't beam down. He's wrapped in flesh, in the flesh of Mary. He truly is an awkward miracle for Mary. I imagine she even waddled around at the end of her, uh, the end of her time. I imagine she was awkwardly hot. when she, it, was, it was very physical. I think the other thing that blows me away is it really took nine months. So it, it was a miraculous conception, but it wasn't a miraculous birth period. Right? It, it took nine months. And, and you might think about that and go, of course it took nine months because that's what it takes. But this is God entering the world. And yet, there was a nine-month labour. Uh, not labour. Uh, <laughs> pregnancy. God, that would have been a miracle in the wrong direction, I think, wouldn't it? Uh, God have mercy and save uh, poor Mary at that point. No, no, it was, it was a, a prolonged b- uh, <laughs> pregnancy. I'm now totally caught betwixt and between. You guys know what I'm talking about. So it was awkwardly physical. It really took nine months. And then the birth was a real birth. Now, there were no C-sections back then, let the reader understand. And so there was real birth. There would have been real blood. And what it tells us is that the Son of God entered this world with a real life. 
a life just like yours and mine. And so as we reflect tonight on the places Jesus went, I also want us to reflect on the names that Jesus was given. And so Jesus' names are important. An amazing one that's in the passage that we had from Matthew is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we all know him as Jesus, right? But there was another name for him, Emmanuel. Now, I don't know that that especially means that that was his pet name and that Mary and Joseph called him Manny or something. I don't don't think that's the case. But one of the titles for him is translated God with us. Well, why does that matter? Why does that matter? Well, the reality of the incarnation, the incarnation is God wrapped in flesh or God in a bod, if you want. That's, That's the meaning of that word incarnation. The reality of the incarnation means that God slowed down to truly understand us. Think of that. How vulnerable are you if you're Jesus in Mary's womb? As vulnerable as any baby who's ever lived, but not less vulnerable. And so I think the incredible reality of the incarnation means that God slowed down. It means that he has made an effort to really understand us. And this means that in a very real sense, through Jesus, God gets us. That's what the incarnation means. God gets us through a birth canal, needing to have his swaddling clothes changed. All of that, that reality, he understands from ground zero. How beautiful. And so Jesus was born. Uh, We've got a manger back here behind the the, the communion table. I I can show it to you. Wonderful. Um, The awesome thing about the front of the church today, though, is that it has two things on it, two big props that kind of help me tell the story of Jesus. Over here, I've got our makeshift manger. And then here, I have the cross. Because Jesus, the one who truly came into the world, didn't stay a baby. He grew up and matured, and he taught, and he had enemies, and they crucified him. And so while it's extraordinary to say that God found a place in a womb, what we can also know through the incarnation is that God found a place in a tomb. Jesus taken down from the cross. Have a listen to these words as recorded uh, by Mark. Uh, Let me just find it here. By Mark. So there are four accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And at the end of Mark's account of Jesus' life, he talks about Jesus' death. And then he records uh, these words. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So when evening approached, this is the day of Jesus' crucifixion. So that when evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now what? What is is the meaning of Jesus ending up in a tomb? Well, firstly, we need to see that if Jesus had a real life, we need to know that he also had a real death. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped being filled with air. 
he truly died. His death revealed his glory. It's pretty hard to think of somebody on a cross being glorious, but that was exactly the testimony of the soldiers who crucified him. It says in the verses preceding, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said this. You ready for this? Surely this man was the son of God. The death of Jesus reveals his glory. He was doing something magnificent for us on the cross. So the son of God knew a womb. The son of God also knew a tomb and his body was carefully buried. It was buried carefully because people who knew him loved him. And if you love someone, you lay them to rest with care. Now, I said his names were important. What's the name of Jesus that relates to what he's doing on the cross? Well, amazingly enough, if you didn't know, the name Jesus means God will save his people. Wasn't that helpful? God will save his people. And so, The reality of the crucifixion, that's what it means for Jesus to be on the cross. The reality of the crucifixion means that we no longer need to die for our sins. You see, we said before that each of us has fallen short of the holy God's standard. And God says that those who sin deserve the punishment of death. I deserve that, as do you. And what Jesus, the perfect Son of God, says is, I'll take your sin and I will bear it in your place. He dies in our place and for our sin. And so the reality of the crucifixion means we no longer need to die for our sins because one has died in our place. And this means that in a very real sense, through Jesus, God pays the price for us. A womb to understand us, a tomb to pay the price for us. Here's a third place for Jesus. After his death, he was raised to life again. And the Bible tells us that he is now in heaven, where he sits at the right hand of his Father. And we get a little picture of this in the Scriptures. Have a listen to this from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that Jesus is in heaven now, after he was in a womb and in a tomb. You see, Jesus has a real resurrection. He's not dead anymore. And you go, I haven't seen too many people come back to life again. That's true. It's a miracle. And Jesus had a real resurrection. Jesus had a real ascension. That means he didn't stay on earth. He's returned to his father from where he came. A real ascension. And here's my last tricky word for the night, I think. Maybe it's not. But uh, he he has real intercession. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know when... um, (laughs) You know when you want something from somebody, but you're not sure how it will go? It might be that um, my kid wants to ask for a bike for Christmas, right? And so they tell, maybe my boy tells my daughter, can you let dad know that I'd really like a bike for Christmas? But, but just say it's an idea. Don't say it's coming from me. Can you speak on my behalf to dad? Did you see? Do you know what Jesus does? He speaks to the father 
on your behalf. Isn't that awesome? And he's not just doing stuff about a bike, although I hope you get one for Christmas, right? I'm, I'm a bike rider, I love it. May bikes rain down on your houses, how wonderful, okay? But, but here's the thing, here's the thing. The Son of God intercedes. He speaks to the Father on your behalf. And he's not someone who doesn't get us. He sweated, he worked a job, he was born, he died. When Jesus speaks to the Father on your behalf and my behalf, it's because he really gets us. How wonderful is that? And so I said Jesus' names are important. Well, if he's the resurrected one after he died for our sins, mighty God is pretty good. It says in Isaiah that he'll be called mighty God. Why? Well, he reigns over sin and death. But it also says that he's called wonderful counsellor. Isn't that an amazing name for God? Really? Wonderful counsellor. How extraordinary. Why? For he'll care for the weak and the lost. Now, that's, that's our God, right? What, what an extraordinary picture. Amazing strength. Death-conquering, sin-conquering strength. And the love and the care to be a wonderful counsellor. That's why I take it we're here tonight, isn't it? To celebrate, to draw near that kind of God. And so the reality of the ascension, his going up to the Father, means that he has beaten death and he rules in heaven. And this means that in a very real sense, through Jesus, God cares for us. God cares for us and he's able to care for us because he understands us. Well, here's the fourth place that Jesus can be. Here's the fourth place that Jesus can be. Can anyone recognize this organ in all of its plastic glory? It's a heart. Well done. It's a heart. Jesus says that he will come and dwell in our hearts. Let me show you where that is in, uh, in John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to, uh, to his apprentices and he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Listen to what Jesus says next. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. There's an absolutely beautiful reality here. I want you to see that to love Jesus is to obey him. It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, imagine your kid said, Dad, I really love you. I just don't want to do anything you ever say. How do you think that relationship... I mean, this is hypothetical, of course, right? Hypothetical, hypothetical. But, but imagine you're in a relationship like this. No, I love you to bits. Uh, maybe it's a husband and wife relationship. I love you to bits, but I won't do anything you ever ask me. Maybe that's more representative than it should be, right? Okay. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We know that that would be a horrible, broken relationship. The challenge for us is to think that we can say, God, I love you, but I haven't checked in with you since about Christmas last year. God, I love you, but I haven't really got any time to hear from you. My Bible's dusty. It's pristine, but a little bit dusty, right? 
God, I really love you, but I'm not interested in the things that you... It just doesn't work, does it? And so here it says, to love him is to obey him. That's a beautiful promise. And so the next thing we see, that those who love him will never be alone. Man, I love this. I absolutely love this. This warms my heart. This comforts me when things are hard. Jesus says that he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus says that he will not leave us as orphans, but will come to us. Why is it important that Jesus in the end will dwell in a heart? Well, I want him to dwell in my heart. I don't want to feel alone with all of the challenges of this life. I want to know up close and personal the the comfort, the beauty of the presence of God. And that's what's on offer. That's what's on offer. Jesus dwells in the hearts of believers. And you think, oh, well, does it have to say the believers bit at the end? I mean, come on. Can't he just kind of sneak into my heart? I mean, I'm here, right? I'm doing pretty well. Yes, he, he dwells in the hearts of believers. Because believers are those who've said, I see what you did on the cross was for me. And I've asked you to forgive me. I'm believing that you've paid the price for me. I'm inviting you in as my king and my counsellor. Jesus says he'll dwell in the hearts of believers. We've been doing this names thing. You ready for another name for Jesus? He's called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. For the battle is done and comfort is offered. Who do you follow? I follow Jesus, the Prince of Peace. That is a beautiful, incredible offer. I I had something extraordinary um, the other night. I I didn't chase it up. But someone said at the carols uh, the other night in the domain um, that someone said, uh, let us follow the, um, the beautiful call of John Lennon to peace on earth. Do, do you know where peace on earth was first offered? John Lennon didn't come up with it. I, I hope I'm, I'm not revealing things here, am I? Jesus, the Prince of Peace, offers us peace with God. For 2,000 years, and so you and I can know the reality of the indwelling means that we are no longer alone. And that means that in a very real sense, through Jesus, God comforts us. God comforts us. What a beautiful and profound truth that is. What would it mean to know this Jesus? What would it mean if I said, I want to know him. I want to be on board. I want to unwrap the gift of Christmas. What, What would that mean? Well, there's... A real sense when I go down the south coast uh, towards Wollongong. So some, there's someone from Wollongong here, wasn't there? Yeah, great. When I go, when I go down Mount Oosley and I see the steelworks burning in the distance there, I think this is God's country, right? I live there. I used to live there. And, and there's something about the, uh, you know, the perpetual fire of the presence of God, no, I mean of the um, steelworks, uh, which says to me, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. There's a really beautiful quote that a friend of mine uh, sent me uh, last night, actually, beautiful timing. Uh, he said, when he heard this quote, he was listening to it in an audio book. He said, when he heard the quote, he almost drove off the road. So here we go, I'll give you this quote. It's quite long, but I want you to listen. I want you to think about what it means. It's by a guy called G.K. Chesterton. It is simply not true to say that the other religions and philosophies are rivals to the old Christmas story. No other story No pagan legend or philosophical anecdote or historical event does in fact affect any of us with that peculiar and even poignant impression produced on us by the word Bethlehem. 
No other birth of a god or childhood of a sage seems to be Christmas or anything like Christmas. It's either too cold or too frivolous or too formal and classical or too simple and savage or too occult and complicated. Not one of us, whatever his opinions, would ever go to such a scene with the sense that he was going home. I love this. In Bethlehem, in this story of a baby in a feed trough, is something profound. The God of the universe is calling you home. Do you long for home? Do you long to be right with God tonight? The, the second thing I, I want to suggest that getting right with God will offer us tonight is peace in a very real sense. In Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, these words were recorded. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is, is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now tonight, I don't know where you are. I don't know if uh, you've become reacquainted with your conscience recently, if it's been nagging away at you. I don't know if coming into the building tonight gave you a sense of guilt. I don't know if some of you were wondering, I hope that the building stands up. I was talking to some friends last night and he said, man, I'm not sure I could come because the building would fall over if I walked in. Some of you carry the weight of your sin. And I want you to know tonight that you can be free of it. That there's peace with God offered for each one here. You can go from being God's enemies to being his children. Do you long for that peace? It's beautiful and it's on offer tonight. Or thirdly and magnificently, those who find the peace of God, those who come home to him, are also offered wonderfully a family, a beautiful family. It says in John chapter 1, the true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. This is talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And I want to ask you tonight, do you want to know what it is to be family with God? Do you, know what it, do you want to know what it is to be family here with this group of people? Do you want to come home to a group of people who have the same father, whatever their race, whatever their nation? That's what's on offer for us here. And so however you travel this Christmas, however you travel, I want to invite you to come home, a home that can't be destroyed. And we all know the shaking that's going on in our community at the moment, don't we, with the terrible fires we're having. Come to a home that can't be shaken. Come to a peace that passes understanding. Come to a family that will last into all eternity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we see the world around us shaking. We carry the burdens of our sin. We long to be free of them. We long to be home with you. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would draw us home to you. I pray for those of us who know this peace already, that we would rejoice in it, 
that we would thank you for your humility and your patience in coming to us in human flesh. And we thank you, Father, that our Saviour stands at your right hand, speaking to you on our behalf. Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas and pray that we might rejoice in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to celebrate.